Welcome to the latest home-cooked edition of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me, as always, is senior reporter Greg Giroux. It's week five of home recording, but it feels like way more than that. On today's episode, we'll break down an ad that hit the airwaves last week, and then we'll fast forward to the fall to look at where both parties' super PACs have reserved airtime for House and Senate races and which cities will be getting slammed with ads. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down-Ballot Counts. Up first, it's Jerome's Gem. Thanks, Kyle. Jerome's Gem, my number of the week, is 11. That is the number of states presently scheduled to hold elections for governor this year. Now, governor's elections may not get as much national attention compared with the presidential election and even some Senate and House elections, but they're very important not only for shaping policy and the makeup of the judiciary in their states, but also for the implications for congressional and state legislative redistricting in 2021 and 2022. Those 11 states are in alphabetical order Delaware, Indiana, Missouri, Montana, New Hampshire, North Carolina, North Dakota, Utah, Vermont, Washington, and West Virginia. Republicans hold seven of those 11 governorships today and the Democrats four. Republicans are targeting Montana, where Steve Bullock is term-limited and running for the Senate, and North Carolina, where Roy Cooper is seeking re-election in a state that will also be a battleground for the presidency and for the Senate. Democrats don't have any great targets to flip from Republicans, so I'd keep an eye on New Hampshire and maybe Missouri. But 11, the number of states scheduled to hold elections for governor this year, that's your Jero's Gem of the Week, Kyle. All right, up next, an ad from a Republican congressman in damage control. I first ran for Congress because I knew we were in the fight of our lives. It's us against the radical liberals for the future of our country. The more battles you, President Trump, and I have won together, the more extreme the left has become. We have to fight for capitalism over socialism, for America first over endless wars, and for our constitutional and God-given rights over their tyranny. I'm Thomas Massey, and I approve this message. It's our third straight week featuring an ad airing in Kentucky. And until a few weeks ago, I never imagined we'd feature one from Thomas Massey, the four-term Republican from the 4th District, which runs along the northern border and includes suburbs of Cincinnati, is facing his first primary challenge and was recently on the receiving end of a critical tweet from Trump, who called him a third-rate grandstander for forcing House members to travel back to Capitol Hill last month to pass the $2 trillion economic aid package. This is clearly a response to limit the potential political damage, right, Greg? Yeah, it wasn't that long ago that uh, Trump tweeted that about Massey, March the 27th, so what, two and a half, three weeks ago, barely. Uh, so this ad invokes President Trump as a visual as well. It shows a photograph of Massey with the president together with the signature red Make America Great Again uh, hat off to the side. Now, this isn't unusual for a Republican seeking election or re-election to do this, but as you mentioned, this comes right after Massey drew the president's ire and many members of Congress when he sought a roll call vote on a $2 trillion uh, economic aid and recovery package responding to the coronavirus. Uh, Massey was unsuccessful in that gambit, but um, as you mentioned, that drew the ire of President Trump, who called him a third-rate grandstander and even called on the Republicans to throw Massey out of the Republican Party. Um, this ad doesn't mention Massey's Republican primary opponent, lawyer Todd McMurtry, who entered the race in early January. The Republican Jewish Coalition 
PAC endorsed McMurtry on March the 27th after Massey's actions in the House and after a series of votes that uh, Mass that um, the Republican Jewish Coalition said were anti-Israel. Uh, Massey's campaign has pointed out some of McMurtry's previous anti-Trump comments. We'll have to see if um, the Massey campaign backs that up with paid advertising closer to the Republican primary, which is scheduled for June the 23rd. Uh, Massey often casts some lonely dissenting votes on foreign policy and spending bills. He's in his fourth full term representing uh, Kentucky's 4th District, as you mentioned, Kyle. And uh, yeah, we've got uh, about two and a half months to go. We'll have to wait and see if um, this race really gels and becomes highly competitive. Yeah, I think the primary is not till June 23rd. And, and you know, we've seen so many primaries move their dates back. Um, you know, we'll see if that one uh, actually goes on on June 23rd. Um, all right. Well, we've already had one incumbent lose a primary, Democrat Dan Lipinski of Illinois. Uh, we'll de- definitely keep this on the list of primaries to watch. Okay, and after the break, we'll look into the tens of millions of dollars worth of airtime already being reserved for the final weeks of the 2020 elections. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. As of last week, all four super PACs aligned with both parties' House and Senate leaders had reserved a combined $200 million plus of fall airtime. They'll be sharing the airwaves with the official party campaign committees, other outside groups, and of course, the campaigns, presidential, Senate, House, and beyond. So that's why they're making these ad reservations so early. But Greg, these are just the initial reservations. Um, Still, one thing that stood out to me um, is there isn't a ton of overlap between the House and Senate maps. Did you notice the same thing? And what else uh, stood out to you? Yeah, well, um, I think the first thing that stood out to me is um, uh, follow the money. These ad reservations are always kind of fun uh, to look at kind of early in the cycle. There will be a lot of changes in these because races that are not on the board that don't seem competitive might become competitive later and others that are might not. But still, um, this gives us kind of an early glimpse into what the parties and their key allies see as the most competitive races. I mean, I think some takeaways for me, um, we start on the Senate side maybe. I noticed that you know the Democratic and the Republican major super PACs, they're all spending in the same five states, uh, Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Maine, and North Carolina. These are all seats defended by uh, Republican incumbents. And yeah, as you mentioned, um, you're not seeing a whole lot of overlap between the House and the Senate in, I think, North Carolina, um, Arizona, um, and Colorado. You do in Iowa, um, and you do uh, in one of Maine's uh, two congressional districts. Yeah, North Carolina, it's going to be key for presidential and Senate. Um, Arizona, big in the presidential and the Senate. Um, Colorado for the Senate, maybe in the presidential, it leans a little bit Democratic. Uh, but um, I think the first thing that jumps out at me if we talk about the Senate first, Kyle, would be that there is a lot of agreement on um, which uh, states are the key to determining whether Republicans keep their majority. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, we didn't states we didn't see su- somewhat surprisingly, Michigan. Right. That's this is a state that uh, Republicans um, continue to harp is going to be uh, a very, very competitive race. That wasn't one of the early reservations, which is kind of surprising because. The point of this is to sort of get in there early and make sure there's inventory to reserve on the airwaves, right? And to lock in low rates. And you got to think Michigan's going to be a big one, um, both in the presidential and in the House, uh, in terms of, you know, so much spending uh, on TV, uh, on cable and broadcast. Um, so Michigan wasn't there. New Hampshire wasn't there. Um, so those are two Democratic-held states uh, not on there. Another one, of course, Alabama, 
we we think that's probably the most vulnerable seat on the map but it's not expecting a ton of action uh, on the tv airwaves but yeah it, it it's interesting definitely definitely the uh, the races to watch arizona colorado iowa maine and north carolina in terms of the senate and the house uh, both both uh, super PACs, I think, reserved in about 30 media markets. Um, and that's probably covers, I don't know, 35 to 40 congressional districts um, that overlap a little bit. That includes down in Los Angeles and Orange County, um, places you won't see competitive Senate or presidential races. Yeah, that's right. And, um, you know, the 35 to 40 districts, whoever the, the final number turns out to be, just kind of underscores how uh, small the playing field is in a in a map of 435 districts. Um, this is a lot of money, and we are talking about dozens of districts. But even if only 40 or 45 are in play, that's still one tenth of the 435 districts around the nation. I think we see a heavy focus of early spending in districts that President Trump won in 2016 and House Democrats won in 2018. There are 30 such districts, and in all but one of them, the Democratic incumbent is seeking re-election with Republicans needing a net gain of about 18 seats to win the majority, and with straight-ticket voting prevalent today, uh, those Trump-Democrat districts, as I like to call them, will go a long way in determining uh, who wins a House majority. You know, some districts have jumped out at me. You know, the Congressional Leadership Fund, that is the House Republican Super PAC, $2.2 million in New York's 22nd district. That's Utica, Binghamton. This is a district that is held by freshman Democrat Anthony Brindisi, this is the most pro-Trump district of, of any that's held by a Democratic freshman. You know, $1.5 million in Oklahoma City, which is the fifth district of first-term Democrat Kendra Horn. That's also a district that the president won by double digits. Um, and we see the spending mostly in Democratic-held districts, as one would expect, after Democrats made a net gain of 40 seats in the 2018 election. They don't have too many more Republican-held seats they can win, although there are some on this list. Um, though the Democrats do have to defend a lot of seats. They just won in 2018, Kyle. Yeah, and some of the biggest numbers I saw uh, from that Republican uh, Congressional Leadership Fund um, for the House, $6.5 million in Philadelphia, $3.1 million in Houston, uh, $3.25 million across Minnesota, um, another $3 million in Atlanta, $3 million in Los Angeles. Um, so some big numbers being thrown around. Uh, and then you also have a million dollars being spent in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, for the first district there, which Democrats picked up in 18. So a lot of money going a lot of places. Yeah, that's right. And um, I think one state I want to point out is Iowa, which pound for pound or per capita may be the most consequential state in the congressional elections of uh, November. You have a, a huge early spending in the Senate race there with uh, Joni Ernst, the Republican incumbent, uh, likely to face Teresa Greenfield a Democratic businesswoman, uh, lots of spending by the Democratic and Republican uh, major super PACs there. But also, Iowa has just four U.S. House districts, but we're seeing big early reservations in three of those four districts. Um, Iowa's first district held by Abby Finkenauer, uh, the second district where Dave Loebsack, a Democrat, is retiring. He's the only Democrat retiring from a district that Trump carried in uh, 2016. And then the third district in Des Moines, you have um, Sidney Axney, uh, seeking re-election against David Young, the Republican she unseated just two years ago. So um, Iowa, you know, is known for uh, kind of uh, starting the, uh, you know, presidential election year um, with a lot of activity by presidential candidates, kicks off the political activity of presidential election years. But this year, Kyle, um, Iowa's, Iowans can expect to see a lot of 
television ads in House and Senate races as well. That's right. Both Senate super PACs reserved around $13 million. And this is for a state where I feel like earlier in the cycle, maybe within the last couple of months, we were still debating, is Iowa really in play at the presidential, at the Senate level? Um, can Democrats compete there? So uh, judging by the money, judging by the early reservations, the answer is yes. This is Down Ballot Counts. Now, before we close the show, we've got a parting shot of trivia for you. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each week, I try to stump Kyle and you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. But first, let's review last week's question. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who is up for re-election in November, has had a long run as the Senate Republican leader, as either minority leader or the majority leader. More than 13 years, actually. And my question was, who was Mitch McConnell's immediate predecessor as Senate Republican leader? Kyle, what do you have for me? I'm going Bill Frist. Ding, 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 ding. Correct. Bill Frist (laughs) is the correct answer. Uh, The Tennessee Republican was Senate Majority Leader from 2003 until the end of 2006 when he retired and Democrats won back the Senate. Mitch McConnell became Republican Leader at the start of 2007 as the Senate Minority Leader and since 2015 has been the Senate Majority Leader. So good job if you join Kyle in getting that one correct. Now for this week's question. We talked about the importance of governors in the 2020 election in the Jarrow's Gem segment at the beginning of the program. I want to know, what are the only two states where governors are elected to two-year terms? So just about all the governors, you know, 48 of them serve four-year terms, except in these two states. I want you to name them for me, those two states where governors are elected to two-year terms. You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet it at us using the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at BGov and use the hashtag DownBallotPod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's episode of Down Ballot Counts. All right, that's it for us today. But before we go, Greg, what else are you watching this week? Well, Kyle, Wednesday is the deadline for candidates for Congress, including incumbents, to disclose to the Federal Election Commission how much in campaign funds they raised in this year's first quarter and how much campaign cash they had as of March 31st. We'll be analyzing those reports for Bloomberg government this week and talking about them on next week's episode of Down Ballot Counts. All right. And I'll note here that Michael Bloomberg, the majority owner of Bloomberg government's parent company, sought the Democratic presidential nomination. He endorsed Joe Biden on March 4th. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg government's website about.begov.com. We'll talk to you next week. Those nine justices in Washington, they can be pretty hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Jordan Rubin. And I'm Kimberly Robinson. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the opinions, and much, much more. So check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.